With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by J. Crew. This spring, J. Crew is telling a linen love story. From perfectly rumpled beach cover-ups and effortlessly sexy suiting to button-up shirts from the world-famous Baird McNutt Mill in Ireland, the new J. Crew collection is made to be shared, lived in, and loved for decades and generations to come. Shop linen like you've never seen it. And more new arrivals for spring 2024 at jcrew.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Truth Seeker with the Truth Seeker podcast, and today I'm going to be interviewing Calvin Parker of the Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter book that came out, uh, an abduction story experience. And so we're going to be getting into uh, some of the details about this book, his personal stories, encounters, beliefs, what's happened. This happened uh, October 11th, 1973. 1973. So um, this book is an exhaustive concordance about his story and just about the whole field of ufology in general. So we're going to we're going to go deep on this one. So Calvin, welcome to the the podcast, man. Thank hey, you for uh, spending this time with me. Thank you for having us. Oh, uh, this this is good stuff. So, I've been I've been following your story for for some years now. I probably first heard about it in 2010-2011. Um, you know, being from Mobile, I'm in you, right. know, you know, we're down here in the Bible Belt, and so there's not a lot of people coming forward with their UFO stories or anything spiritual or whatever. So, looking up some of the ones that kind of happen around my area definitely leads you over to Gulf Breeze and Pensacola area. There's a lot of stories there, but um, coming a little bit west of Mobile, we have this story here in Pascagoula, Mississippi, which was phenomenal. There was just a, a bunch of press online. I didn't know there was this much press. Like all of the stuff that's in this book, there's so much in here. I didn't know that, that there was this much, but uh, it means a lot to me that it's close to home. And I wanted to have you on a podcast. Usually we do a video cast just right. through the cell phone and things like that. But since you're this close, down here, you know, in the Bible, but I was like, we got to make this happen in person. So again, and thanks for coming home. You speak book; it just covers probably half of what's in there. So it's every day we have something that we're going to add to it yeah. as an addition to the book. The book, like I said, it is exhaustive. I knew that there was a bunch of stuff. There was a bunch of interviews, clippings, and stuff like that. But this thing is full of it. Oh yeah, it's after, and you guys captured all that. I know you worked with a. Uh, Philip Mantle, the publisher, to get this stuff out, and he did a great job as far as finding oh, all the articles and all that stuff. Job. Uh, when we got started, I just kind of wrote my story a little bit, and he would keep me straightened out because I don't have much education, so I wasn't a writer. I didn't want to be a writer. Actually, I didn't want to write the book. So uh, it came around that Philip had contacted me. And it just happened to hit at the right time. My wife and I had went to a wake at a funeral home, and I had signed the register. And there was people coming from everywhere wanting to talk to me, and we felt like that was really disrespectful yeah. to talk about this at this lady's, um, this guy's funeral. He yeah. was a neighbor of ours. So after the funeral, we was on our way home. My wife said, 
maybe we should write a book. I thought, no, this fat boy ain't going to write a book (laughs) because, you know, I don't have the education to. And I had dodged this all these years. From 1973 on, I never talked about this to family, to friends, to no one. So it come after the wake, I got home, and I didn't know more than get home. Then Philip had searched me down, been hunting me for years, wanting to interview me on another subject because he didn't think I would write a book. Yeah. So we talked about it, and he asked me if I would consider it. And, of course, I was going to blow him off. I said, of course I'll consider it. <laughs> I'll let me find a ghostwriter or something. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, I was blowing him off, and I was blowing my <laughs> wife off. I didn't really want to do a book. So he called back one day, and he said, why didn't you want to write a book? I said, because everybody changes stuff. You know, you give a press release, time you get the press release out there, it's 100 times more than what it was and all. And I said, I will write a book. I do not want the book edited in no way. And believe it or not, he agreed. Being a publisher, and a good publisher he is, he did agree not to edit the book. And in ways, that was a mistake for me because I could have let him edit the spelling and all of exactly. it, but I didn't. But people love this like it is. They say it's like sitting in the living room listening to you tell the story. So uh, I have a real good relationship, working relationship with Philip, and he's become a friend since then. And he dug out all the information. He said, I know this son has take two or three years to do. I said, oh, okay, if I can read it in a week, I can write it in a week. He said, well, I know it's going to take a long time, two or three. We're not in no hurry. Just take your time and do it. So I told my wife, I'm going to my bedroom. I'm going to close the door, and I'll come out when we got a book. Bring you something to drink about once a day and something to eat about every other day. And we got in there, and with Philip's help, you know, he'd kind of guide me a little bit. We did the book. Two weeks, we was walking out with a book. By the time I finished that, he had all the information on the inside, all the details, all the facts. He even had a tape from the late Bud Hopkins where I had went down and had him hypnotize me on a different, uh, some missing time. Yeah. And that's in the book. And I didn't know I was even hypnotized. It was really shocking. Wow. It surprised me. Wow. Um I mean, there's a lot to, just to even unpack with that before we even get into the story, really, to, as far as, like, how quick you got the book out. I mean, that's a big thing, too. Like, there's a lot of people who they've been through some really traumatic experiences. They have some experiences that can help other people. They want to write a book. But like you said, this would maybe a three-year venture. You guys oh, yeah. knocked it out in two weeks. A couple this, of weeks. It's, it's, it's definitely an exhaustive book. And he did all the back-end research and collecting all that Every stuff, right? My He's goodness. great at it. He's probably one of the best publishers that anybody could get. I know he's the best on this. Yeah. and Because uh, he is so detailed, and he hustles so much, and he does that. He's not just out there for the book. He's a truth hunter. Yeah, that's kinda good. Kind of like you say. Yeah. He wants the cold, hard facts, and if they're not there, he won't put them in that book or yeah. nothing. So I've enjoyed working with him. I can't wait to go to the U.K. in August to meet him. Yeah. Oh, so you guys haven't met in person yet? Wow. No, we hadn't, but we do a lot of Skyping. Yeah. We do a lot of emailing. And uh, 
so far, if he told me the world's coming to the end tomorrow, <laughs> and, you know, I'd go ahead and take my last rights. Yeah, that's good, man. Um, so as far as just unpacking the story for people who haven't heard of it, some people are unfamiliar with it. Um, you know, it being so big, and, and especially when it comes to ufology, there's a lot of people who have done their research. You've you've been right. doing interviews, and the news has covered you. And I mean, this happened back in the '70s, and all we have everything from there. It was in the newspaper, but there's like a resurgence of it now. I mean, uh, you know, I want to, you know, really get into the story, but that was kind of a time where it wasn't accepted to be talking about this kind of stuff, exactly especially in the right. South in the Bible Belt talking about UFOs and aliens and being abducted and really the stuff of horror movies. Now there's a niche for, uh, for this where like so many people are drawn to it. I want to talk to you. I'm, I've got all these questions, but let's just go ahead and unpack the story a little bit just for those who, who aren't familiar with, with your uh, incident. Okay. Uh, everybody keep in mind that in 1973 there were no cell phones. There was no social media. Or anything like that. So this happened on October 11th, 73. And it was a beautiful day. It was about 70 degrees outside. Uh, So a friend of mine got off. A friend of mine, we had worked together at the F.B. Walker and Son Shipyard and got off work. And after we get off, he asked me, he said, would you like to go fishing? I said, yeah, anything to kill time. So we went out to a place called the Shaw Peter Shipyard took our fishing equipment, we parked, and the first thing I noticed when we got there is how trashy everything looked, because this ship we all was abandoned, and there was trash that had washed up on the uh, ground, but living on the coast, you know that the high water brings it in, and it won't take it back out when it leaves, it just stays there, and that's one of the things, and I was thinking to myself, they need to clean this place up, but we was there illegal, they had a trespassing sign up and all, and we was uh, we got and we parked the car, and he said, uh, "Well, where we fish is just right down here. They got an old grain elevator, and that grain falls off his boats, and the fish comes up to eat the grain. We usually do really good there." So we walked. It took about fifteen minutes to scuffle down to where we were. We sat on the pier and we cast out. And we didn't no more get cast out when my mind was wandering. I was looking across the river at an old uh, Coast Guard ship or Noah ship. I, I can't remember which one. And I was thinking to myself, this thing's made out of steel. How does it float? I couldn't figure out in my life how a bunch of steel could float on water like that. And I noticed coming from behind me was some blue hazy lights. And I... It was reflecting across the water toward the ship. Well, me, I was thinking we're trespassing. The laws here, and that was about the color that the lights were on the patrol cars back then. So I stood up and turned around and looked. And when I did, it was a real bright light just overtook the uh, the hazy blue light. And I, I have to say, you know, for an 18-year-old boy back in, I was scared to death. And I kind of glanced off trying to think of somewhere to go, but I, there was water on the left and water on the right and water in front of me. And I was a good swimmer at the time, but I didn't think I'd survive the debris. So, but, but by the time I turned around and looked toward the ship, there was three 
robotic looking creatures coming toward us and it was too late to run anywhere. Well, about that time I noticed uh, Charlie had stood up and he was looking and they got to us and I seen two of them take hold of Charlie. One of them got a hold of my left arm and I felt a puncher and uh, all of a sudden I got relaxed. You know, I didn't care if I run or not and I couldn't say nothing. The only thing I could do was sit there and look forward. So uh, I couldn't turn, I couldn't move, and this thing picked us up by the arm and floated us inside the craft, floated us up to the door of the craft. Well, by that time, I couldn't turn around and see if Charlie was around or not, but I could see the craft, and I was wondering where the light was coming from, so my head was back like that, and I was just rolling my eyeballs, and it was coming out of the paint. It just looked like it was coming straight out of the paint. It was just a real bright light. And I thought, darn, this is something else. And they turned and they walked me and turned right and took me into a little room. And they laid me on about a 45 degree. I don't know if it was a table or what they laid me on. But then something like the size of a deck of cards come out of the ceiling. And it come down about two foot right straight in front of my head. And I could hear it click. Then it went to the side and it clicked went to the back and it clicked again and it did it one more time then it shot back up into the ceiling and that's when uh, I don't know if this a more human looking creature came in the the other one's just an old ugly looking robotic looking creature you know you could tell by their moves that they was following some kind of orders or something so I figured them to be robots but this other creature was, uh, I'm guessing a female. I don't know if it was or not, but I just had that feeling, deep feeling that it's probably a female because, you know, of the small features on her, mm-hmm. more human-looking than uh, the other ones were. So she came out from behind the wall, and she walked up, and her fingers was just like our hands, except her fingers was longer. And she kind of felt around on my cheek. And uh, I still wasn't afraid at that time because of the, uh, I guess, the sedation, the shot that they gave us. So she took, she run her fingers down my throat and tried to come up through my nasal cavity. And that hurt like hell. So I just, you know, I was coming out of that thing and I was wanting to get up and run. And I couldn't. And automatically, now her mouth never moved. She had a mouth, but it never moved. But telepathically, I guess, she said, don't be afraid. We're not going to harm you. And then that big creature walked over and grabbed me by the arm, and I felt another little puncher. And she kind of backed up out of the way a little bit, and I settled down again. So I really wasn't afraid. But she did a few little things there, such as uh, I felt like she was looking for an implant or had put one in. She looked in my mouth, and my nose and all was bleeding in, you know, where uh, she had done that. And then all of a sudden, she backed up out of the way, and that big, ugly creature come in and got me and took me back out to the river where he set me and uh, put me out in the same spots. My arms were stretched through the river, and they turned around was leaving, when I got to where I could move again, and I heard a voice, Charlie said, Calvin, Calvin, you okay? So I turned around and looked, and by that time they had made it back to the ship, 
the bright lights went off, and this thing just picked straight up off the ground a few feet and just disappeared more or less. It was so fast. Mm. Wow. How long did uh, this whole encounter last, do you think? You know, it's hard to say. I'm going to say 45 minutes or an mm. hour or something, but it's really yeah. hard to say because we was ship fitting back in and slinging a sledgehammer all day. We didn't wear watches because of the shock to the watch. Yeah. So uh, we sat there and talked a minute because the danger was over then. So we decided to sit down and talk for a few minutes. And uh, Char- Charlie says, well, we need to let somebody know. I said, no, this didn't happen. We don't need to let anybody know. You're on your own, Charlie. I said, I, I-, I don't want no- nobody to know what happened. Because in the 70s, I knew if we was considered crazy, we never would get a job or nothing else. Yeah. And all I wanted to do was get, buy a house, have a family, raise my kids, and, uh, you know, retire at a job somewhere. I didn't have to make much money. So we sat there and talked and uh, decided... Well, we both decided then, really, we shouldn't tell nobody. So by the time we walked back to the car, I noticed the car window on my car had been shattered on the passenger side. And uh, he said, well, we got to tell somebody. (laughs) Somebody's got to pay for this. Yeah, well, he wasn't worried about my car, I don't think. Mm -hmm. He said, well, we got to tell somebody. I said, Charlie, we don't need to tell a soul. We got in, I tried to crank the car. Now, this car I bought it in 1973, just two months before this. It wouldn't crank. So I kept trying, and finally it got cranked off. And needless to say, when we got in, I headed out. Well, we passed a Magic Mart store. Back in, there weren't cell phones. So we passed a little Magic Mart store that had a phone hanging outside. We stopped. Or he said, stop here. And he wouldn't call Keesler Air Force Base. So when he called them, they said, uh, we don't handle UFO abductions anymore. We shut down that unit a long time ago. It's no such thing or something like that. Call your local authorities. So he come back to the car, got another dime, dropped a dime in the payphone, called the sheriff department. So the sheriff department, uh, said, well, y'all stay where you are. They figured we was drinking. First thing I heard, uh, Charlie said, well, he said that uh, I asked him, I heard Charlie on the phone. He said, now, don't laugh, but I got something to tell you. And the deputy answered the phone. said, well, I'm not going to laugh. What was it? Charlie said, we was just abducted by aliens. Well, he rolled out laughing. And I don't blame him. You know, at the time, that was unheard of. So... He said, y'all don't move. Stay right there. Don't crank that car for nothing, and we'll be there. Well, they must have had a unit pretty close, and there's one that pulled up. He walked to my side of the car. He looked in the car, said, son, uh, get out of the car. So I got out of the car, and there was one on the other side with Charlie. He said, now, I want you to pull your left leg up, tilt your head back, touch your nose and jump on one foot i gotta see if you're drinking i said man damn i can't i can't do that sober much <laughs> yeah. less drinking you yeah. know just go ahead and take me to jail for being yeah. drunk it'll be where i'm going 
He said, but I got out and tried it and done his little field sobriety test and all. And uh, he said, you're good to drive. He smelled around, you know. So it was while they took us, he said, follow me to the sheriff's department. So we followed him, and they finished their little alcohol test and all. They determined we wasn't drinking. So they was taking us a little more serious thing. And, well, they took him into a room and took me into a room. Now, I don't know, know what happened at Charlie's room because I wasn't there. But they interrogated me. I didn't want to talk about it. So I just kept my mouth shut, and I told them any excuse I could not to talk about it. Then they put us in a room together. And uh, when they did that, that's where the secret tape came from, from the sheriff's department. Yeah. So what they call, uh, they left us in this room together, and they had a tape recorder on and they taped their conversations. Now, I had no clue that this was going on yeah. when it was. Didn't want to know. I didn't want to tape out there. But anyhow, they come in. They got their little tape out. Now, I didn't see them get the tape because they didn't send us to another little place. But apparently, they got their little tape out and listened to it. And that's when they called uh, Fred Diamond, the head sheriff. He come over. He said, son, y'all go home. Uh, y'all go on home and get some rest. And I said, Sheriff, I don't want nobody to know. I, I actually would rather nobody not know. I don't want to be classified an idiot. He said, We're not going to tell anybody. We're not in the, we're not in the uh, business of media. We're just in the business of checking the law. He said, But I do want to tell you one thing. If this was a hoax, you're going to jail for a long way. Is there anything you want to tell me? I said, I want to tell you not to keep, turn this loose to the press. We'll go home. So to make a long story short, we got my car. We went back home. Well, when I got home, on the way I told Charlie, I said, you know, it's a good chance that we might have radiation or some kind of bacterial disease or something, and I think we need to go get checked out. Oh, son, don't worry about that. We'll do that later on. I said, well, you know, even when the damn astronauts come in from outer space back in, <laughs> they quarantined them seven days. Yeah. And I said, what if you give your family and everybody we know? I said, we could start a, some kind of disease epidemic here. Well, well, we'll take care of all that tomorrow. I'll take care of that. But I didn't take him in his word. I went on home. I pulled my clothes off, put all my clothes in a bag, put my shoes in the bag, an old paper bag they had. There was a gallon of bleach on the back of the bathtub. And I started at the top of my head, and I poured that bleach down, and I washed myself all the way. Then I took a shower. Then I went on to bed. The next morning, I carried my clothes out to the dumpster and throwed them in. So, you know, I was really concerned about all that. And it wasn't for me. It was more or less for the people involved. Well, we didn't know what was going on. The next morning, we got to work. When we got there, I did notice there was uh, a few more cars than what had been there, a lot of more cars that, that had been there. We brassed in. We went in to our workstations. Well, they sent someone from the office. They said, Calvin, you and Charlie got to get up here. And I was wondering, oh, I bet they found <laughs> out something. So on the way in, I was literally sick because it released it to the media. I got on my hands and knees in the parking lot and was throwing up because I was just that sick and worried about it. 
So we got there, and they said, I don't know what went on last night, but we can't even get on our phones. we got to shut our operation down simply because the media's calling in. We can't get on the phone. Somebody's got to do something. Y'all going to have to leave so we can conduct business here. They was really nice about it, you know. So uh, the owner of the company was there, and he said, I'm going to call the lawyer that tends to our business, and he'd work up a press release. Maybe we can get rid of some of these people. So during that time, they called the lawyer Joe Flamingo in. He worked up a little press release and turned out a press release. But little did I know, it was hundreds, literally hundreds of reporters there. And uh, this hit the network news. And I still, to this day, don't know how it got released. I got my suspicions, but I don't know how the story got released. So uh, he did a press release. By that time, they decided we might ought to go to the hospital and go to Keesler and get checked for radiation. So uh, one of the deputies from the sheriff's department came down, put us in the car, and they escorted us to uh, Singing River Hospital where they did a full body exam on us, gave us the go-ahead to be released, and go get our radiation check. When we pulled up at Keesler, they drove us to Keesler. They was probably, they was, Keesler security was at the gate, and then we didn't even have to stop. He just blinked his lights. We went right on through. They took us to a secluded area in the back by an old warehouse. They took us out of the car, and they run, I forget what they, they told me, macatometers, or something over mm-hmm. a body to check for radiation. I had a small trace, but I knew what it was from. I had worked in the oil field before I come, and we used radiation tablets in uh, some of our equipment. And uh, that's where my little bit came from, which wasn't nothing major. Mm-hmm. And then when we got through, they said, uh, they want to talk to you in the back. So they just killed us down a long hallway. And I thought, gosh, for something not to be released, you know, we still got a heap of stuff going on. So when we got to the back, there was some uh, officials back there from the military, a lot of local officials back there, like uh, mayors, police department, and all that. And they was really nice to us. They set us down and made us tell our stories. And I figured I better tell them what I could because they were serious about it. Then when they get through, they said, y'all can go. The sheriff's department took us back to uh, the shipyard where we was working. And by that time, Dr. James Allen Heineck and Dr. Harder had came down. Well, Heineck was over Project Blue Book when it was going on. And he come on his own penny. He was a truth seeker. So he came down on his own penny to interrogate us and to look at the site. Of course, I'm kind of disappointed the sheriff's department didn't ribbon off that site, but they didn't. So Heineck went out to the site, looked at it, and then they met with Charlie and myself. So we told her story again. Uh, Dr. Harder tried to hypnotize us, gave us an examination, and checked the puncture marks on our arms again. And uh, he couldn't hypnotize me because, you know, he said it would just be too traumatic. 
So Dr. Heineck, as an end result, he said uh, in the press release, he said if these guys are actors, he said they should they should be in Hollywood. He said, I, you know, there's something happened to them. And that's kind of where they left it. Uh, we we uh, went back in from there, and I got my car and went on back to Laurel, Mississippi to disappear from the public. But it followed me around. 45 years it's followed me before I got ready to write this book. Mm-hmm. And uh, 93, I had a, something that happened going fishing. I was missing some time, and I had a friend that knew uh, uh, Bud Hopkins that had uh, knew that he had a book out, Missing Time, and he suggested that I go see him and talk to him. So I decided, I said, well, he's in Florida right now. It's just a little 12-hour ride. Let's go. So we went. He went with me, and we went up, and he found Bud Hopkins, and I wouldn't go in. He was at a conference, and I wouldn't go in. And he told Bud, he said, Calvin Parker wants to see you. Well, I never. this was in 93. I was thinking, that man ain't going to know who I am. But he said, tell him to wait. Go to my room and wait on me. I want to see him, too. So to make a long story short, we went to his room. Bud come to see us, and he asked me if he could hypnotize me. I said, Yeah. I said, now, don't make me look like an idiot and do like they do on these Vegas shows, put stuff in my head and make me get up and down, yeah. jump up and down and all that. I said, uh, as long as it's legitimate, I'll go along with it. And I said, by the way, there's, I told that buddy of mine, I said, there's a ball bat in a car, go get him <laughs> and knock him in the head with it if he starts doing stupid stuff or trying to put thoughts in my head. Yeah, suggestive thoughts. Right. Yeah. I didn't want anything in my head that wasn't there. So apparently he hypnotized me. I didn't realize it. A pretty good long session. And uh, he put a post-hypnotic suggestion in my head that I wouldn't remember this till it was time to remember it. And then I would remember the facts as I could handle them. And he told everybody else not to tell me. I, this is all on that tape that I got, that uh, Philip Mantle had got, and he got the actual tape from wow. David Jacobs, who, who had took over some of uh, Bud Hopkins' work. So I went in, was writing a book, and I told my wife, when uh, Philip sent the transcripts to me where he had put them in the book, I just kind of started briefing over them. I said, hell. I said, I've been hypnotized, and I didn't know it. I went out and told my wife. She was on the back porch. I said, I didn't realize it, but I really was hypnotized. I said, I always thought that was a bunch of bull. Yeah. But uh, it's not. So till today, I hadn't read all the, or listened to it. I have a copy of the CD of the original tape, but I hadn't uh, listened to it because I want to remember what came out as I remember it. And... uh, one of the things I remembered, I had a uh, interview by Linda Moulton Howe, yeah. and she is an in-depth reporter. Oh, yeah. And she brought all this, was bringing some of this stuff out, and I wanted to say, Linda, shut up. I don't want to hear it. 
but you know it she got it started coming out and it got triggered my memory and I still haven't looked at what was on but I do start I have remembered a lot of what was on there myself and I don't know how much because I hadn't read all the tapes I haven't read them either so is this more detail about what happened during the you know what what you would say was about 45 minute experience is there some more details that come out because you have the transcript in the book as well right people can read exactly that right they themselves. can read it and yeah it's um a lot of detail on that then it's the fishing trip to cat island where i had the missing time yeah so um, that experience is in it, there as well that was a little experience in there it was a little bit in there but my i told my wife i'll be back before dark because after 73, I didn't get on that water at night anymore. Mm. So I said, I'll be back before dark. She fixed me a lunch, and the first thing I remember, I was waiting on the tide to change. This about 11 o'clock, and I opened my lunch to eat it. And when I come back, too, the lunch was still there on the chair. This is 3 in the morning. Mm. So there was a lot of time missing. But, yeah, it captures some of the experience inside that time. I had no idea that I had been revisited then yeah. that I had. Wow. Um, was was Charlie's experience uh, pretty much similar to yours, or was he experienced something totally different when he was on the ship? I have no idea, to be honest with you. I never talked to Charlie about it. When we got back, when Dot, uh, but uh, when John Howie and Bud Hopkins got through with us, I got in my car and left. I thought Charlie broke the story to the news media, yeah. and that made me mad, and I didn't want to talk to him no more, nobody mm-hmm. else. I mean, we had a little bit of contact together, but nothing yeah. where we sat down and talked about what happened. Yeah. Um, so I was following this story, and um, like I said, about 2010 or so, um, you know, just finding anything that I could. I looked it up and, and got, you know what I'm saying, real deep into the story. For some reason, I didn't know that it was two people. For some reason, I maybe just read your account or whatever, or, or or either yours or Charlie's or whatever that was available at the time. And then in 2011, Charlie passed. Correct. Right. My wife uh, found it in the clipping in the in the paper and cut it out for me. Said, "Here's that Pasagula incident. The guy passed away." So I was under the impression that it was only one person for some reason. Right. I don't know. And then recently, I seen on the news that they were interviewing you, and I was like, "Wow, this was two people." So yeah. it just brought it back to the light. So um, one of the reasons why... The- this episode is brought to you by Seed. Did you know that supporting your health can be as easy as taking two capsules a day? Each daily dose of Seed's DSO-1 daily symbiotic is formulated with 24 scientifically studied probiotic strains that support gut, skin, and heart health, helping you start the new year off right. Visit seed.com slash Spotify and use code Spotify25 to get 25% off your first month. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Kind of the story carries so much weight is because of the tape that came out at the Sheriff's Department was the fact that 
you guys weren't trying to whisper and trying to get your stories together, together like right. most people will or, or have like holes in your stories. There was like a cooperation there where you guys weren't trying to make it up. And quite frankly, you didn't want to even, you know what I'm saying, be there, right? No, uh-uh. Uh, I read the transcripts in the sheriff department one or two times. And, you know, I seemed like I made a comment, Charlie, it scared me to death. I felt like I stepped on a rattlesnake. Mm-hmm. And uh, it did. I mean, I was an 18-year-old boy. I wasn't even out to the real world then. And I didn't want nobody to know because I had a future in front of me, I thought. And it completely changed my whole life. Yeah. From that very minute on, I would go on a job and you'd have the media look you up. Well, they'd tell you to get them off the job. I was in the oil field or yeah. they was fixing to fire you. Well, the media, once they get on you, they're like a pit bulldog. They don't back off. Mm. And my deal with them, they would change the story to make it look like more than what it was. Are you talking about a horror story? Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about, right? But how could you change something and get it any more than yeah. what that is? Yeah. I mean, it's enough as it is. On a fishing trip, get abducted, get a physical, get all kind of stuff. And um, why change all that? And the reason I didn't talk to Charlie anymore, like I say, I thought he was the one that broke the story. But then later I regretted that. I wish I had it because there's questions I wanted to ask him. Mm-hmm. But he took the upper road. He went with the media. He did all the conferences. He wrote a book. Mm-hmm. and uh, He got all the money. <laughs> yeah, he got everything. Yeah. He come to me and uh, said, I- I'm going to write a book, and if you don't sign off on it, I'm going to write it anyway. I said, I don't care, Charlie. He said, sign it, and I'll give you 3 or 4% or some, some little small percentage. I just signed it to get rid of him, and but I never seen a penny out of it. <laughs> never did want one. That's usually though. how that works, yeah. But come to find out later, the way the story broke, back in the 70s, everybody liked to be nosy and get in everybody's business, so they carried these scanners around. Well, they'd listen in at the fire department, the police department. Well, I didn't wasn't thinking, but the Mississippi Press had an office by the sheriff's department. And they had a scanner turned on. They was listening in. Well, they was all, all on top of it. Before you knew it, it hit the news everywhere. Uh, and the next thing I knew, Rolling Stones magazine tried to get a hold of me over there. They said, "Well, we got some pretty important questions to ask you. Uh, why didn't you call somebody then?" I said, "Well, there weren't no cell phones in. Didn't want to." He said, "Well, why wasn't you on camera?" I said, idiot, that was 1973. They didn't have cameras back in like they do now. I said, so what else do you want to ask? Well, why didn't uh, the bridge tender see you? I said, well, that's a good question. I, I asked the sheriff's department. They went up there and checked that out. Well, going inside where the bridge tender said, he had a recliner, and his wall was to the back of the recliner. And he was sitting in there asleep, and they would call him on the radio when he needed to do something with a bridge. So, and he admitted it. You know, he didn't have nothing to hide. The man was there for a payday, and he wasn't out looking for nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other factors that comes into the fact that this story carries a little bit of weight is because you guys passed the polygraph test as well. When did that come in? Was that at the sheriff's office that same night? No, it wasn't at the sheriff's office. It was uh, just shortly after it. 
And a matter of fact, I, I Charlie took one separate. I took one, then we took one in Chicago, a voice stress test. I, I did make one talk show with him, and uh, they had a polygraph and a voice stress test in there. Now, the voice stress test we didn't know about, but they put a microphone in there with us, and somehow they read it off your voice. I don't know much about it. Yeah. They say it's as accurate or more accurate than a polygraph. Now, on the job, whenever, uh, you know, the press came and all that kind of stuff on the job and was causing problems for them, did you get let go? Did you get fired? Or was it just for that day they sent you home for the day? Or did they just terminate you? No, back in, they fired you. Yeah. If they would go in and leave, it was okay. But if they didn't leave and kept harassing, and these people kept harassing, yeah. uh, you know, they'd just say, well, we don't need you no more. Go home. Because they'd call the main office and everything and come out to the rig where it was. And uh, the oil field was different back in. I mean, they had some real hard-nosed people working there. They was good people. But something like that, they would take and run with it. Yeah. And you'd never hear the end of it. I mean, you don't know the times that I heard Sputnik. Oh, yeah. Um. So there's a lot of stuff out there when somebody has a type of encounter like that, whether it's an abduction or supernatural experience. And you talked about hearing, you know, telepathy or whatever with the being that was communicating with you, just sending those thoughts to you that everything was okay. Um, did you ever experience that, um, um, you know, feeling of that something was trying to communicate uh, to you or with you a lot of people talk about it sounds like angelic voices or the voice of god even or the holy spirit yeah. as we you know relate this stuff back to the religious text and stuff it talks about the uh, telepathic communication have you ever had any of those weird deja vu moments where you're just you know cleaning house or something and there's something letting you know what's going on or something well, like that well i have had experiences like that but i try not to uh you know, it's pure scary, something getting into your head. Yeah. So I tried just to pass it off and not pay attention and shut it out. Yeah. And that's how I've done all this time. Mm-hmm. Nowadays and times, I would welcome it. Yeah. But as far as my faith, uh, faith, you know, I believe in God and I always will. Yeah. It's one God, one Jesus Christ, and that's just the way that it is. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know it's life on other planets. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Look at all the stars, and every one of them stars has a planet around it. Now, I think they travel a little different now than what they did. I think they kind of, uh, 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 I don't know how to say it. Instead of coming in a spacecraft, I think it's another dimension right here around us, and they could travel through like a black hole and Mm -hmm. come in our dimension when they want to. Slip in and out, yeah. Right, and I really believe that. Now, so that's what you believe that it was? You believe that these were beings from other planets that, that showed up here? I do. It was beings from another planet, or at one time I uh, might have called them demons. You yeah. Know, something from hell that might have showed up here. Yeah. Because I physically got the physical confrontation in 93 with one. And, uh, you know, you eventually get tired of being played with. And I think they was trying. She was trying to put that implant in my nose, and when it did, I was tired of not having the evidence and the proof that I needed to prove it. So I was actually gonna grab her around the neck and take her with me, and it turned into a physical situation where uh, me and her both got bloodied up and bloody. 
Now this was you, this was from the uh, the uh, missing time. The you missing think it was time. the same being? You think it was the same beings I'm that came back? I'm almost sure it yeah. was because when I was in there, uh, that's like Linda Howe said. He said, "You said I. Uh, she's gonna kill me. I know her. I know her, and uh, I must have known her from '73. Yeah. And I didn't remember nothing about this, mm-hmm. but uh, I feel like." They've probably been watching a long time. And I don't know why they chose me. Somebody asked, why you? Well, I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe I was just handy. Um, I I don't know. Did you ever uh, watch the uh, Travis Walton movie, Fire in the Sky? Did you ever watch that when it came out? No, I didn't. I figured that would trigger you, send you right no. back into heaven. Well, again, I tried not to get nothing in my head yeah. that wasn't there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, now Travis is coming out. I read on Facebook yeah. the other day with something else, uh, how that was a near-death experience or they might have yeah. him or something. Well, we were talking about, you know, selling the story. We were talking right. about that before we went live, and he sold the story, and they turned it into a horror movie. Um, there's other people, James Gilliland from East City Ranch, and he's talked about how there was all these people who approached them to buy their story, but they know they're going to turn it into somewhat of a horror movie, and for them – it 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 you know it, it it wasn't something that they thought was demonic or evil or whatever the case is. And Travis is kind of taking that approach now that you know that whenever he got out of, of the truck and he went up there to see right. this orb, he tried to touch it. It lit up and shocked him. And if they let if they just was to leave him there, he probably would have died. That they had to pick him up, put him on the table, almost do surgery on him so that he he would live. And so his whole relationship with that story has changed over the years. Do you feel like that in, in at any way? Is there, um, I know cause you know what I'm saying? Most of this is, is something traumatic, evil, demonic, these type of words that are being used. Um, do you think that they have malicious intent that they were trying to hurt you? I mean, if they wanted to well, kill you, I'd be dead if they wanted yeah. to kill me. Uh, it's kind of like I said one time before, if you look at the different races of the human beings and all, yeah, you're going to find good people, you're going to find bad people, yeah. and you're going to find really bad people. And some that just tries to get by. And I feel like that this is the way they are. You, you can make out of it what really what you want to. It could be good or it could be bad. I think basically they might have been here to, maybe to try to help us to start with. And uh, they look, because I keep, getting in mind that this earth's destroying itself yeah and they probably don't need that we don't need it and they don't need it and they would help us if we'd let them do you think that's a thought that's being communicated telepathically that i, I think so yeah you need to have compassion for this planet yeah, yeah. for this planet mm-hmm. right here and uh since i've started doing this book i noticed another thing i never had pets and never really been around the animals or nothing that much but uh, I, my son died in 2012, I think, June or something. And uh, the same day he died, there's a little stray dog come up. And uh, if that dog's not a spitting image, and I think it might, it could be a lot that I want it to be. But uh, that dog come up, come to the back porch wanting something to eat. And... On my son's birthday, he had puppies. And, uh, you know, it's just a coincidence yeah. in there. 
And he is so loving. He's such a good little old dog. And matter of fact, this morning I had to go down and see him at 3 o'clock in the morning to get him shut. <laughs> but I feel like he he was sent to me for a reason. Yeah. Get, making long stories short. Yeah. And I'm real protective of the little dog. And animals now. We're used to, I wasn't. Yeah. And the there's, like an, there's like an empathy that was kind of released through yeah. the experience. Yeah. And the average person, the average kid now, you know, uh, they couldn't go out and grow a garden, make it on their own or anything else. Yeah. And you could throw me outside with a pocket knife and we're going to eat something <laughs> and have something. Yeah. But I, I think the world just needs to take care of itself. I think people need to be a little better toward each other. Yeah. You got all this cutthroating going on. You got all this politics going on, and everybody down, and all the rich people want to be a politician or have one in their pocket. Uh, they need to turn loose of everything. Just be their self and be good neighbors. Yeah. It comes back to the simplicities of it, right? And, the, and these type of experiences and you know near-death experiences bring about a similar manifestation. There's the fact that look, we you know life is short, life is precious. We need to take care of each other, take care of the planet, and, and things like that. So that's something that the majority of people um, you know talk about after having these encounters. Um, and the reason I'm asking you about the whole evil alien thing, you know that there's you know quotes there. Um, is the fact that a lot of people now, like the whole abduction thing, that was, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe early 90s. Right. You don't hear that term anymore. No. Um, you hear contactee and experiencer. Most people want something like this to happen. They welcome it. Maybe not to the extent of something scary where they're fearing for their life. And right. I mean, if anything comes into our realm that looks different, we're going to be scared, right? Those type of things. But what do you think is going on with that as far as the whole abduction thing kind of being phased out and people are welcoming contact and experiences? Well, I think it started, it's kind of like Philip said, you know, Calvin, you're the last of the breed. Yeah. And that means, you know, we was pretty well the last ones. Phasing out. Phasing out. You know, all everybody else is pretty much dying off that has to deal with these abductions and all. Uh, I believe that they're trying to make a change in people. I, I really do. You don't never know when uh, their world might need to come exist with our world. I mean, hell, it might as well. We got our every other... <laughs> ever other <laughs> race in the world down yeah. there. Might as well have them. Yeah. Uh, and I think they are. I really believe from the bottom of my heart, they are aliens, walk-in aliens that live among us. Mm -hmm. Now, that sounds crazy, but in 73, it sounded crazy to get abducted, too. Yeah. As far as the, you know, telepathy and repeat experiences you had to experience in 93, um, you know, talk about, you kind of feel them trying to contact you or place thoughts in your head, ideas and things like that. Do you feel that if you wanted to, that you can contact them or have you ever went out under the stars and said, Hey, who are you shaking your fist? Or is there like this contact? Like, you well, know what I'm saying? I've never really wanted to contact them, but I really feel like if we got off and tried, it can, it's possible. Yeah. I don't know if I could do it or not. Now, many a nights, me and my wife fish a lot at night when it's, you know, a little warmer and all. And we'll go out and sit, and I, I look up at the sky, see how beautiful it is, 
And of course, you're going to see stuff floating around that you don't. For one instant, we was fishing at a power plant. We were sitting there talking. And uh, I heard a little noise, and we looked, and there was a blimp up above us. And I didn't realize that it was that close. And that was scary. You know, looked at the bottom <laughs> of the Goodyear blimp, and it was sitting there looking oh, at yeah. you. Yeah. So you don't never know what can happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, something's going to have to happen because the human race is destroying this earth. Yeah. We, I mean, we in for hell if we don't man there's a lot of videos and and stories about uh them these ships showing up around you know nuclear plants and where they were testing different missiles and stuff and they would disarm the missile there's a there's video footage and lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus people can look this up it's, it's pretty cool but they, uh several years back there was a uh, an asteroid headed I believe it was in in uh, Germany, I believe. But the uh, asteroid was coming, and it was about to make land impact. And then at the last minute, a ship appeared, shot a beam at it, and exploded to where it was just all these little bitty pieces oh, of yeah. debris. I don't know if you remember that, but it's I like somebody it. or something, God, Jesus, the angels, whatever, they're watching over us, and they are trying to protect us. Hopefully we don't take ourselves out, those type of things, right? Yeah. I know God's watching me, and I often thought, and uh, Linda Howe brought up uh, an idea of why I possibly could have been. Daddy worked for the Atomic Energy Commission in Las Vegas out in Area 51 uh, back in the 60s, and they was exploding these nuclear bombs underground because that was when the Cold War was going on. So they was doing everything they can to build these weapons that would just wipe other Yeah countries off the planet and uh you know it could have been something from that that might have triggered them to start getting a hold of me it could have been a lot of this stuff is you know i'm saying generational there's a lot of people who you know your parents had a fear or phobia of this stuff because they've had dreams and nightmares and things that's happened you know loss of time and stuff like that um has your 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 children ever experienced anything do you think it's passed down nobody's ever said anything not that i know of uh my daughter, she's a type that if she would, I don't believe she would tell anybody. Yeah, she'd be like me. I, uh, as far as I know, she hadn't. Yeah. Another question I got for you um, about just the the area itself, right here, Pasigula, Mississippi, just the Gulf Coast, right here. Really, um, is there something special about it? Because it th- this story means a little bit more to me too, because 
um, when I got into ufology and spirituality or whatever, I tried to go out and make contact. I would read the Bible, right. read that the angels were traveling back and forth from heaven to earth. And I have a prayer life and I'm asking God to let me see one. If the Bible's true, if they travel back and forth, can I see one? And I started seeing, I started seeing lights that would fly by and stop on a dime and blink and say hello and then fly another direction. Really interesting stuff. And so I worked uh, delivering car parts and I got out really early to jump in, in my truck from Sarah Land, Mobile, Alabama, and I would head out on my route. And I would right. come across the Pasagula Bridge here, and I would stop at the rest area, right? I mean, we're just a couple miles, if that, oh, yeah. from it. I would stop at the rest area. I would try to get there as early as I could, and many mornings I'd get there at 4 in the morning. And I'd get out, and i walk in the woods, and i position my truck in a way that it would block out any light that was coming in. And I'd try to, I'd try to communicate telepathically, and um, I would see stuff here. I would see stuff, and it's really close to where this whole thing happened with you. I would see things that look like blimps, but you can see through them. They were transparent things. I'd see things flying that looked like um, stingrays flying in the air, but you could see through them. And it was just really weird aerial phenomena that let me know that something's up. I can't tell you exactly what those things were or or what, but something's going on, and it just— Light something I'm in you, right? I'm glad you asked that question. Paspagula is a special place to me since that. I've always come back here. I always ended up back here. Something's pulling me in this direction. And I think there's something major, and I don't know what it is. And uh, But I just feel the need to be here in Paspagula and to be with the people that, that uh, you know, I'm around. I love the people here in mm-hmm. Jackson County and Pasquagoula on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And I want to do everything I can for them. But I think it's kind of like in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I think it's something fixing to bust wide open real soon around yeah. here. Now, what it is, I don't know if it is anything. Uh, unlike a lot of people, they'll predict something big's going to happen. And it don't never happen. Yeah. Well, I'm not predicting nothing. Yeah. I'm just saying. Well, you just turn on your TV. Yeah. You can see that it's already here almost, you know, as but far as everything going something on. Something special is going to happen right yeah. here. And uh, I believe there's a reason for trying to put this tiny town on the map again. And we've had deals, a lot of good deals offered, people wanting to write screenplays and stuff. And we hadn't accepted anything real good right now. But when they send that screenplay, if it's not the truth and not going down, and if it's not helping Jackson County and Pasquagoula, I won't have nothing to do with it. Well, that's what you were talking about, the screenplay, but also the book, like you mentioned, is the fact that um, with you agreeing to do this book, you didn't want nobody messing with your story. Hey, let's let's spice it up a little bit. Say they did this to you. Say they did that. And you wanted to have total control over it. And so you working with a Philip, he agreed to do that. Like you said, not being someone who, you know, has, you know, this great education, but it's legit because it's your story and it hasn't been tampered with. And I have to give Philip credit. I know he wanted to go ahead and do a little editing on it. But he didn't do it because he gave his word. He's took a lot of criticism, or not a lot, but some yeah, criticism. Yeah, it's there, yeah. And, you know, I'll go back and tell him, look, I don't care what you say about him. He's a good man. He didn't edit the book because I didn't want it edited, and he agreed not to do that. So that's me and Philip. And I don't, you don't know how much I appreciate him for uh, what he's done. Yeah. Philip has been a real imp- inspiration for me. He's brought me more or less, say, out of the closet. 
He's got me talking about this. Mm-hmm. But I think it's time to talk about all this. Yeah. And you, you'll be surprised at the people that get in touch with me that's got questions yeah. every day on Facebook or yep. some kind of social media. Well, I got an experience I want to talk to you about. Well, I take time and I talk to them. You know, what else have I got but time? Well, I mean, when you was going through that, wouldn't it have been great if you said, hey, there's a guy who had a, an exact encounter or something very similar? I'm going to call this guy. Yeah. But there was, you know, we're down here in the Bible Belt. There's nobody to there's down nobody. here. That, and if we went to California or Denver, Colorado, they're, they're everywhere, right? It's accepted. There's one person that I talked to that, that did help me back when this happened was Betty Hill. Okay. I went and spent uh, three or four days with Betty Hill. And in the back of my mind, why would I listen to Betty Hill when I was going down there on a plane ride? I said, you know what? She did something that nobody would do. She was married to a black man, and you didn't do that back in. And she can get out and tell her story and take the ridicule that come on for being being in a mixed marriage. She's telling the truth. And after I met the lady, she was so sweet. And she took me up in the mountains where they had their experience and tried to show me things. We never seen nothing, but, you know, she was sincere and genuine at heart. And I, I believe her from the bottom of my heart. I also seen the star mount she had, and uh, I don't know if anything ever came out of it or not. Yeah. So what about your ridicule? Like I said, coming out with this stuff in, I keep saying the Bible about it. I've, I've, I've faced, you know, some, some ridicule as well, but this yeah. is in the 70s yeah. as well, you know. So, so what about you? Were there naysayers? Were there people... Hey, stay away from this guy. He's he's a loony making it up. And I, I know you didn't want the the fame. The you know you didn't even want to talk about it. So what was some of the stuff that, that just came with it? Well, you know, people pretty well left me alone because I didn't want to talk. I didn't hit the publicity. Mm-hmm. And uh, every now and then you find somebody. What was you drinking? What was you smoking? I want what like you that. have. Yeah, yeah, I want yeah. what you got. Smoking. Yeah, but um. Pretty much, basically, people left me alone. And the reason for that, I think I just kept quiet and kept to myself and my family. And uh, I, I believe it was something in the future that was coming out. Uh, and I was kind of protected from all this. So, you know, I, I've been lucky through That's good life. because you have a lot of people who, uh, you know, they grow bitter from that stuff. They have a beautiful, oh, yeah. beautiful encounter or... Even a scary encounter, it's their story, right? Right. But, it, but because of all the ridicule and the mockery and the disinfo, they grow bitter with their with their age, and that's definitely has to happen, you know, to you. So that's that's a that's a plus, and, right? Oh yeah. And since the books came out, I've had book signings. One right here in Pascagoula, mm-hmm. or two right here, and got to meet some people, and that was said that you know my mom and daddy seen this. And they told me about it, or I was 12 years old and I seen it, and we know it happened, or we believe you. And uh, that makes you feel good to get to know these people. And there wasn't nothing bad. Nobody from one of these book signings ever said anything bad. Yeah. I mean, they spend good money, come here and bought a book and to get it autographed just to meet me. That makes me feel yeah. good inside, makes me feel like I'm honored. So are you having a decent turnout from that, especially being – Again, here in you know here in the South, is there are there, oh, are there gosh, is, it, yeah. is it a growing number of people who are asking the you know what I'm saying these bigger questions and things who yeah, want to show up for that? It's hundreds of people. Wow, yeah. And uh, 
we usually we'll come in and uh, they'll organize the book signing. We'll come in, just sit down and sign a few books, do a few autographs. Somebody said, well, you're in it for the money. I said, I don't make nothing off of it. To the book signage and things like that, I'm going to donate my time to be sure that Paspagula gets the people in here that it needs because there's something big going on, and I need to feel like they would. Now I make a few dollars, you know, selling the books that comes from uh, Amazon. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I donate my own time to come up because I enjoy it. I want to be with these people. I love these people. They're my neighbors. They're my friends. And a, a person has very few true friends in his life, and you better take advantage of them. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Yes, sir. Um, John, do we have any questions from the Internet? What do we have here? Scroll, scroll. You just want me to scroll and read some yeah. of these? Any of them, any of them uh, stand out for you? Yeah, uh, Chris Garner. Chris Garner. Let's see if we can uh, check out some of these comments here. Chris Garner says, has, has your perception of the encounter become more positive over time? Similar to Travis Walton telling a more positive message year later, years later. Well, I can't really say it's positive or non-positive. Uh, jury's still out. Well, so, like, like I said as well, like it's it's birthed something in in you that right. you're more compassionate. You yeah. could have died, right? These type of things, and it makes you not take life for granted, right? You know, you know, you take every day as you live it. You be the best you can. And I'm a firm believer in karma. Mm-hmm. You can bring the karma on on yourself, either good or bad. And I don't want no bad karma. I had enough problems in my life. Yeah, trying to undo some of that yeah. stuff, you know. John, what about you, man? Do you have any questions? I know you're big into ufology and, and, and you're well-studied as well. Um, I guess my only question would be, I've had experiences back when I was younger, back in Puerto Rico, where though I've seen an actual being but my being was different. Right. My being was, it looked humanoid. It had legs, arms, and, you know, torso and a head, but no actual features, no, no eyeballs, no mouth, nothing. But it was like what you would typically see little green man. I saw a grown man glowing green. You know, it, uh, in the book, it, I always say on the robotic creatures that come after me, I didn't, Charlie's seen facial features and all on them, but I didn't see none on them. But if you get down, just take our society, you got all these different races, all these different people. Nobody really looks the same or acts the same, and it's different races and all. And I feel like it's the same way with them. If they're here and they are from another planet, God had to invent them, and he might have invented them uh, in different images or maybe it's some angels that broke loose and yeah. it's just really hard to say but I think time is due to tell yeah some of the uh, you know if you read the scriptures you see where people uh, had these encounters with angels they fell to their knees in fear right in like there's fear. These, you know these, these, these type of scary looking creatures or whatever the case is you know beasts they, they even call them you know exactly right so you know it, Every race is different. Every person is yeah. different. I don't know of too many people that look the same, uh, you know, on the earth, but it is a few. 
Yeah, the, these these creatures you you uh, you you guys outline in 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 here, the uh, they they look different. They don't you they don't are. really see. I mean, you see this little guy here. For those listening on the podcast, stand, it's this little alien gray type being, and you see these guys a lot or whatever. So when it comes to these different humanoid type of beings right. that looked different, like there was like points on their heads, and they just looked. You know what I'm saying? Really different. So, Well, look at the different breeds of dogs that you have, the mm-hmm. different breeds of cattle that you have. All them's different, you yeah. know. And I, I feel like, and like I say, you have good in everybody, you have bad in everybody. Now, I want to consider myself good. Mess with my family or my friends, I can be bad and have been. And uh, I'm not the easiest person in the world to live with. Or I got the biggest heart in the world. You know, I'd give somebody a shirt off my back if they mm-hmm. needed it. So that's just life, though. Yeah, that's one thing that, that really came across to me was the fact that, like I said, I mentioned James Gilliland. A lot of his stuff, you know, helped me early on when I was having my encounters. But uh, he talked about just like you have racism, you know, right. and it offends them if you have a type of entity that looks different or kind of scary. Not to, you know, be shocked or not to be be, be afraid and uh, – you know, because it is like there's like a prejudice or whatever. Or, or yeah. you know, how does it make that entity, that angel, that that alien, you know, from another planet, feel the fact that you you just think they look grotesque and right. you know, and it's, so it's the same type of deal when we're dealing with humans as well. You know, you know, maybe you don't want to hug their neck, but you can <laughs> shake their hand. I know yeah. down here in the south, these book signings and stuff. You know, I tell most of these people, well, you know, we from the south, we hug. Mm-hmm. So, um, if somebody wants to pick up a copy of the book, man, where's the best place to go to get one of those? Amazon, uh, Paspagula, the closest encounter, my story, Calvin Parker. Calvin Parker, yeah, you got believe you can just go there, type your name, and it'll come right up. Oh, it comes up, yes, sir. Well, thank you for doing this podcast with me. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed a it. Pleasure to finally meet you as well, and uh, your, your your story here, and uh, you know, many blessings moving forward with it and getting that message across. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. I appreciate it. And uh, thank y'all for listening in. Yeah, thank everybody for hanging out with us. And uh, with that, we'll say peace and shalom and blessings, everyone. Thank you and God bless. If you're a fan of ufology and want to hear more interesting interviews with UFO experiencers and even how it relates to spirituality, check out my podcast, The Truth Seeker Podcast, on any podcasting platform. There you'll find me. Huge shout out to Jonathan Santiago, who traveled a long way to make this happen. Thank you so much for coming down, brother. Check out his podcast, too, at John Santiago Raw. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.